All right. Well, um, my name is Chris Xiao. Um, I'm a member here at UBC. I've been here for a little over a year now. Um, so me, Ryan Troglin, who's been teaching the past couple weeks, and then Jeremy Moeller, we're kind of co-teaching this class on unity and diversity. So there's seven classes in this series, and we're going to pick up here in, in week three. And so, uh, so I'm going to teach today, and then next week, uh, Jeremy will pick up where we kind of leave off. So um, just want to give a, a good recap, though. This is week three, so we've gone two weeks in already. And uh, a brief recap would be in week one, what Ryan, um, what he kind of helped us to see was how um, this concept of unity and diversity, that's a biblical concept, right? And we, we see examples in scripture of where God, um, he cares about unity and, diverse, unity and diversity. And then Ryan also taught about how um, the scriptures point to why God cares so much about this that he uses it as a means to display and to show off his glory to the whole world. And that was all kind of week one, what Ryan was teaching on, right? And then last week was, was week two. And what Ryan was trying to emphasize was that this unity that we're talking about, if we're talking about biblical unity, it's generated by God, and it's built around the gospel. And that's important because unity, you know, can, can a sports team have unity or a business team or a military unit? Can they be diverse and yet extremely unified? And the answer is, yeah, of course they can, right? But the kind of unity that we're talking about is biblical unity that brings glory to God. And if that's the case, it needs to be built by God and built around the gospel. And that's kind of what Brian was really trying to emphasize last week. That was week two. Which brings us to today, of course. So we're in week three. And so today what I want us to talk about is I want to talk about the image of God in our unity and diversity which is kind of an abstract concept, but my hope is that as we talk about this concept, the image of God, and that we were created in the image of God, my hope is that we would marvel at what God has done among us and for us, and that this would compel us to further uh, deepen in our unity as a church, as UBC. So that's kind of what, um, what my hope is for today. So if you, uh, if you haven't gotten an outline, go ahead and um, maybe raise your hand and I can get Sean, to, to hand, you, hand you guys an outline, but this, uh, this is our outline, our, our handout for, um, for, for the morning, and it's a very, very simple outline. Um, I didn't put a whole lot of, of detail into it, um, but really what I want to, I think what's most important is that when we leave this morning or leave this class, uh, what I hope is that we have answered these three core questions that you can see on the top of that first page of the handout. So these are the three questions I want us first to answer this morning. Number one is, what is the image of God? If we're going to talk about it, let's, let's define it. What is the image of God? And we're going to do that really, really briefly, actually, because I want to spend a lot of time on that second question. What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? So we're going to camp out on that for a little while. And then thirdly, along the way, we're going to apply it. Like, what does this have to do with producing unity amidst diversity within our church? So that's, our, that's kind of where we're going for the morning. What is the image of God? What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? And then what does that have to do with unity here at UBC? And um, that's kind of how we're going to go with the flow for the, for the morning. And so to answer these questions, what I want to do is pull from a bunch of various scripture references, but we're going to have a theme text that we're really going to camp out at. And it's probably not going to come as a surprise, but it's Genesis 1. Um, it's the first time we see that concept, image of God. And so if you have your Bibles, go and flip. you can flip to it. It's in Genesis 1. 
verses 26 and 27. And so these two verses, they fall at the end of kind of the creation narrative, the creation story. And so let me, let me read that, uh, those two verses for us right now. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So right then and there, what I want, us to, what I want to point out is we have a pretty simple answer to that first question, right? What is the image of God? It's not an exhaustive answer, but it's definitely a very, very straightforward one. What is the image of God? The text says, let us make man in our image, comma, after our likeness. The image of God is the likeness of God, right? But what does that actually mean, right? That we were created or made after God's quote-unquote likeness. Well, it means that we are fundamentally unlike anything else in all of creation. That's what it means. Simply because nothing else in creation was given this description, made in God's image, made after God's likeness. So therefore, we are unique as human beings, as people. And so in those words, made in God's image, our identity is immediately defined, right? In those words, made after God's likeness, what God does is he declares that all of us have intrinsic work or worth just automatically. We possess it automatically. And it was given by God, and so therefore it wasn't earned by us, which means that nobody can actually take it away or diminish our worth. And the reason why this is important is because our value and our worth before God, what it means is our value and worth is utterly independent of any way that the world might try to define us or maybe categorize us or assign value to us. And so if we look at um, maybe an example, let me bring ethnicity into the picture, right? Our ethnicity is actually irrelevant when it comes to the dignity that we all possess. It's all equal, right? It's, it's like that children's song, red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in his sight, right? We are all equally valuable. But you can break it up any, uh, in, in, in any number of ways. Socioeconomic background doesn't really matter, right? We're all valuable. And, and we've kind of talked about this before, but personality, giftedness, your marital status, stage of life, gender, political affiliation, there's different ways that we can divide one another up. But I think we get the point. Um, we can be diverse in these ways, but the, to be human is to be made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God um, is to have value, it's to have dignity, it's to have worth simply because of whose image we bear, God's. And so therefore, despite our diversity, we automatically possess this level of unity, right? And so um, if we look into the face of one another and everything we think about that person, like every single way that we relate to each other, it should be shaped by that statement. Wow, you are made in God's image. You're made after God's likeness. And so we're talking about identity. We're talking about meaning and purpose and even human destiny. 
It's all tied up. These are all implications of being made in the image of God. And again, if you've, if you've kind of been in church some time or been around biblical teaching for a little bit, this might not be, you know, very surprising. It's, we kind of know these things already, right? And so what do, I, what do I want to do with the rest of our time today is I want to draw out four other implications, four more implications of the fact that we are made in God's image. And kind of along the way as we do this, what I'm going to try to do is I want to try and spend a good amount of time applying these implications into our corporate life as a church, as UBC, and hopefully to do so in such a way that unity with one another as a church will be deepened. So that's my hope for the morning. Um, and that's also kind of the rest of the, that, that simple outline that you have in your, in your hands, the, the handout. We have four more implications that we're going to talk about and then applications along the way. And, uh, and before I kind of um, go a step further, I, I, need a, I need to give credit where it's due. Um, a lot of the thoughts I'm about to share with you, they're influenced not by me, but by Paul David Tripp. And so he, uh, I brought the book up here. It's a new book. Um, that, it's the newest book that he's written. It's called Do You Believe? Really, really good book. And, uh, and I really can't teach without just saying, um, I may have plagiarized. <laughs> that's, how much, that's how much I leaned on him. And so do you believe, it's basically Paul David Tripp's latest book on, he takes these major Christian doctrinal truths, like creation, or God's holiness, sanctification, justification, the image of God. And he talks about these truths in such a way where it's like, okay, these truths aren't just reserved for seminaries to talk about. Like, they're meant to massively influence the way that I go about um, my life every single day. They're meant to massively influence the way I go about my, my Tuesday, right? And so it's really, really accessible, really theologically deep, but also, like, super, super practical. And so he has a chapter on the image of, image of God, and I read it about five times, and, uh, and it really helped me and informed a lot of, yeah, what I'm about to share with you today. So... Thanks to Paul Tripp. But anyway, let's get back to this handout, the outline. And uh, what I want to do is I want to briefly skim over those four implications that I mentioned, and then we're going to circle back and we're going to go more in depth into each of those four. So here's the four. The first one is, you know, so we were created in the image of a God, image of God after his likeness, which means we were created as innately religious, inherently spiritual beings. And by using that word religious, what I mean, I, I use it in the most literal sense, that God made man in such a way that we automatically possess this inclination for worship. That's what I mean. That we were made to place our faith in something. And this is intrinsic, like to every human being. And it's an implication of the fact that we were created in his image. And we'll unpack that more later, but I just want to briefly um, kind of make that point. The second implication that we're going to talk about, it's on the second page of the handout, but it's representation. In other words, when God created man after his likeness, it meant that we were created to represent God. And it's kind of similar to um, like kings in ancient times. You know, they would erect statues of themselves for themselves, and they were, these statues were meant to um, be made in their image to display their rule over a given territory and to kind of represent their fame? Well, it's similar in that we too are made in God's image for the purpose of representing God's rule over all the earth and displaying his fame over all the earth. So representation, that's, that's the second implication. The third implication is that we were made for relationship. 
one of the core attributes of God is that he is a relational being. And so therefore, to be made in his image means that we were created to be relational beings. We were created for relationship with God and for relationship with one another, right? That's an implication. And the fourth and the last implication that I really want to draw out for us this morning is, as people created in his image, we also have God's law written on our hearts. Like it's, we are instinctively moral people, moral beings. We were meant to live righteous lives. And this is the fourth and final implication I want us to kind of consider this morning. And so that was, that was a flyover of those four, but now we're going to circle back, and I just want to in-depth slowly go through each of those four. And hopefully, here's, here's, here's kind of the point of, the, of it all, though. Along the way, I want to see if we can apply these truths into our corporate life as UBC, as a church, and hopefully thus develop greater unity as a church. So that's kind of, um, that's the hope for the morning. So let's not waste any more time. Let's go to um, that, first, that first point. Religion and spirituality. That's what you see in that, on that fir- first page of the handout. Um, we were created as religious and spiritual beings, made with capacities for worship. But I have a question for us. How do we know this? Like, how can we know that our spiritual inclination is an implication of the fact that we were made in the image of God? Well, let's, let's go to the scriptures. Let's kind of do a deep study into, um, you know, what we're talking about. But before we do that, let me, let me point one more thing out. Because when we read that, those verses that we read earlier, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and we learn of God's incredible declaration statement of who we are and whose image we're made in, whose likeness we're made after, it's not like, you know, in verse 28 or for the rest of the chapter that God explains explicitly now, this is exactly what I mean when I say you are made in my image. This is exactly what I imply, right? He doesn't do that. Um, he doesn't leave us in the dark either, so I'm not saying he's left us hanging. What I'm saying is we have the rest of the scriptures to see where that phrase or that terminology made in God's image comes up. And the rest of the scriptures will hopefully give us more understanding and shed light on who we fundamentally are as people and then also what we are fundamentally created for as human beings, right? And so we'll, jump, we'll be jumping around to a bunch of various uh, scripture references as we continue this conversation. And hopefully these collectively will give us a fuller picture of just this unbelievable statement. We are made in God's image after his likeness, right? And so back to that first question, how do we know that when God created us in his image, that he meant for us to be deeply spiritual beings, right? made with inclinations to worship him. Well, we'll start our, our study in John chapter 4. So again, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to uh, John 4. I want to read two verses for us. John 4, verses 23 and 24. And these two verses, they're, they're kind of, they fall right in the middle of a story. It's the story of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. Um, I think it'll cast a lot of light into these questions we're asking. So let me read it for us. Verse 23, Jesus says that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. He's a spiritual being. If we're made in his image, after his likeness, 
And that means we too are spiritual beings. And God is seeking such people to worship him, the text says. Why? Because he created them to do so, right? He was the one who gave them and or us this innate capacity to know truth, to seek truth, and to know God. He was the one who did it. And to love God with our spirit. In other words, he was the one who created us to worship him in spirit and truth. And so the point I'm making is fundamental to being a human being is we are deeply spiritual people. And this is an implication of the fact that we were created in his image, right? So let's, let's jump to another text um, to kind of further this argument. Acts 17. So if you can turn to Acts 17, we'll be in verses 24 through 28. Again, these five verses, it's, we're kind of jumping into the middle of a story. But Paul, he's in the middle. He's in Athens. The Athenians, they wanted to know more about this God that Paul was preaching about. So we'll pick up in the middle of his speech to, to them, or his sermon to them, really. Um, verse 24. It says that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since why? Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And let me, let me pause for a second, because why? Why did, why did God do any of this? Why did he create mankind? Why did he determine when they would live and even where they would live? Well, verse 27 tells us that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. What does this text tell us? It gives us the very reason why God created us, right? And even why he had us living where we live, when we live. The reason is because that God created us as innately religious, spiritual beings with inherent capacities to seek God and to find God. That's what verse 27 says. Which means what? To ultimately worship God, right? And so he made us as creatures who, who can think, who have cognitive abilities. Why? So that we can know God. He also created us as creatures who could, who could talk, who could communicate. Why? So that we could commune with and talk with God. Right? He created us as creatures who have emotions. Why? So that we could fall deeply in love with God. Right? God created us as creatures who have spirits. Why? so that ultimately we could worship God. Our spirituality, God's desire for us to seek him and worship him, these are implications of the fact that we are made in his image, right? And so let me, let me press pause for a minute, for a second. And we're going to do this actually during each of the four implications. But what I want for us to do is, as we go through these four implications, I want us to consider some questions, actually one question, a very important one, because this is a unity and diversity class, right? How do we apply these truths? Like, what does is, what is everything I've talked about have to do with unity amidst diversity at UBC, at our church? How do we apply these truths that we were made in the image of God and therefore 
created with capacities for worship and meant for worship, right? How can this help us to grow in unity amidst diversity at UBC? And, um, and I actually want to open the floor. I want to get some input. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And I do want to say this. Number one, this is kind of an abstract question, right? Um, so there's no wrong answers. I'm really just curious to hear your thoughts. And then number two, like I've been meditating on this question for a couple of weeks now, right? So I'm arriving here, already have thought about this question. Um, whereas for you, I know that you're fresh. Like I'm just now asking this to you. And so um, we don't have to have the most eloquent, thought-out answer. I'm really just curious, as we talk about the fact that we were made in God's image and therefore created for worship, what does that have to do with unity amidst diversity, even within our church, within our context? I wonder if we can get any volunteers who can share a, a thought or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a great answer. Yeah, absolutely. If we, if we really, like, saw each other as people made in the image of God, just the grandeur of that statement, what that would do to us and for us as we look at each other, as we see each other's worth and value and dignity, it's just how glorious our God is that he would do this, create us in his image. It, it ought to create this level of worship in us, but also create this level of unity, right, that we share with one another. Um, any, any, any more lots? Let's do one more because I realized it was nine plus already past nine thirty. I'm on the first implication. Absolutely.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just pointing out Revelation 7-9. Revelation 7-9 talks about one day, standing before the throne of God above, there will be people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue. And they'll be worshiping God, saying salvation belongs to our God, right, and to the Lamb who was slain. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me kind of, yeah, keep moving forward. But the reality is each of us, though we're, we are unified in the sense that we, all, we were all created for one thing, for worship, right? But we also all, are all very diverse in the way that we experience God. And what I mean is that we're all learning different things about God. We're learning th- different things about his character. We're learning different things from his word, grabbing hold of different takeaways from the Sunday sermons. We all have different gifts, spiritual gifts. And depending on your life context, um, we can tend to see different or varying aspects of God's kindness. And so let me, let me kind of bring that back down to the ground and explain what I'm talking about here. Um, I want to bring ethnicity back into the picture. Like our Asian brothers and sisters in the faith, they marvel at God's kindness in Jesus, just like other Christians do all over the world. But not just in his forgiveness, which they do, but particularly in how he restores our honor, which was defiled in sin, and restores our ability to give him honor, Right? And it's a particular aspect of God's kindness that Asian Christians especially notice and especially marvel at. And it's slightly different. It's slightly different from the way that maybe our Western brothers and sisters might experience or notice God's kindness. Or maybe our Western brothers and sisters, they might marvel more so at God's kindness in justifying us, clearing our guilt, declaring us innocent in Jesus. Now, I need to be clear, like both of us believe the gospel that a holy God has in his grace reconciled sinners to himself. Both are worshiping God as they were created to do because they're image bearers, right? But their diverse context creates slight diversity in their experience of God and in what aspect of God's kindness that they particularly marvel at. And it might sound minute, but the point I'm making is I think that we ought to share our experiences with one another. I think we ought to celebrate as we share with one another, the, the different ways that we're experiencing God's kindness and the different ways that we, we are marveling at his particular kindness in their, in their lives. And so if I'm getting even more practical, here's what I'm talking about. Like, what if we were to ask each other this question? Hey, how have you noticed God's kindness in your life lately? What have you noticed? What have you experienced about God's kindness throughout your whole life? And what if we asked this question and listened and dug deeper and said, hey, tell me more? and marveled at God's kindness together, worshiped him alongside each other. While you've noticed this thing about God's kindness, let me tell you about this particular aspect of God's kindness that I've experienced and noticed. Think about the kind of unity that we might be able to enjoy with one another if we did something like this at UBC, right? And our experience of God's kindness, it's not just diverse just because of ethnic ethnic differences, right? We've noted this before, but UBC, we've got diversity in plenty of areas. Stage of life is another one of them, right? And so the way that an empty nester is going to experience or see or notice God's kindness, it might be different from the way a college student might notice or experience or see God's kindness, which might be different from the way a young mother experiences, notices, and sees God's kindness, right? But they would do good to hear from each other, wouldn't they? What if they were all to share and listen to the way each of them have personally noticed God's kindness within their particular lives? Like, wouldn't that increase the worship within each of our hearts? And think about the unity that would be developed 
when we get to share in each other's celebrations of how kind God has been. And we can go on and on, right? Different personality types, different people of socioeconomic backgrounds, different genders, we have men and women. Unity would grow, or might grow at least, in UBC if we see different people encouraging each other with the different ways that they've experienced God's kindness, to share the different ways that they're learning from God's word, to process through the different takeaways from Sunday sermons. And in doing so, I think unity will have, this unity will have encouraged us in our worship of God, the very thing we were created for, right? And one of the very implications of the fact that we're made in his image. And so my point is, I think it should be more and more normal for us to be asking each other, especially people who are different from us, especially people who are different or outside of our friend group, hey, how have you noticed God's kindness lately? Tell me more, right? Um, it's 9.39. Let's move to the second implication. Um, representation. Let's go back to Genesis 1 again. I want to read Genesis 1.26, our theme text. This time, let's pay even closer attention to the flow of how that verse is written, right? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, dot, 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 right? If I'm going to stick strictly according to the text, I think we can draw out another implication of the fact that we are made in God's image, right? Dominion. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. We were created to rule, right? Rule over what, though, right? The verse goes on to describe it. Basically to rule over everything else in creation. No small task, right? But, of course, we have to ask the obvious question. What does that actually mean? Like, we were created for dominion, to rule. What does it mean to have dominion and to rule over all of creation? Well, I guess I, I need to put it this way. If our calling to rule came from God, then that means that our calling to rule is meant to be exercised under God, in obedience to God, not independent of God. Because we have to remember the text says we are made in the image of God, not we are made as gods. And it's an extremely important detail because as God's image bearers, we are meant to rule specifically by representing the heart and will of the one whom we image, the one and only true God, and to do this representative work all over the earth. That's what it means to rule. To rule is to represent the heart and will of God over all the earth. Man, and we thought the Great Commission was given in Matthew 28, huh? Now, the Great Commission was given in Genesis 1. We were made in God's image, and therefore we were commissioned to rule, to represent God specifically. And so once again, I want to ask an application question, and, and I, um, I might have to skip the um, interaction part because time is running low. But what does this have to do with unity and diversity here at UBC? Like, how do we apply these truths that we're talking about now, that we were made in the image of God, and therefore created to represent God, his heart, his will over all the earth? How does this help us as a church grow in unity amidst diversity? Well, at a church our size, we have a big church, right? 650 plus members, I forget what the latest directory says, but our demographic is all over the place. So we have college students joining in 
every single year. But we also have saints who have been here, members of the church, um, long before these college students were even born, right? And we've got everything in between. We've got young professionals. We've got families. Um, we kind of have a diversity in regards to ethnicity. Um, point I'm making is church our size and with the wide demographic we possess, think about the diversity of gifts that exists within our body, within UBC. So there's diversity for sure, but we also have a unity in our calling, don't we? As image bearers, and even more importantly, as Christians, as a church, UBC has been given a very straightforward, a very singular mission, represent God. And the New Testament gives us very, very, uh, just a lot of clarity on what this representative work actually means. And so 2 Corinthians 5 is one of many places that we can go to. 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are representatives of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. And earlier, that was verse 20. In verse 19, it says that in Christ, God was, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So though we have, we have a diversity of people and we have a diversity of gifts within our body, but it's also very clear that we have a unity in mission, right? Telling the world about the message of reconciliation. That's how the verse um, puts it. And it was the same with Jesus and his disciples too. And we've talked about this before, I think. I think it was in week one. But the disciples, they were really diverse too, right? We've got fishermen. We've got anti-Roman government zealots. But we've also got pro-Roman government tax collectors, right? It's a pretty diverse group as well. Yet it was to them this diverse group of people that Jesus gave the unifying statement initially to of Matthew 28, right? What we know as the Great Commission. It was to them that Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so if I'm tying this back to our discussion about the image of God, to be made in his image, to be made after his likeness, is to exercise dominion over all the earth, which is to rule, which is to represent the heart and will of the one whom we image, right? And this implication can also produce unity amidst diversity in UBC if, and hopefully when, we, we collectively utilize our diverse gifts, which are many, towards our one singular mission, the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. If we do this, I think we'll have grown in unity, right? I think our relationships will have been deepened with one another as well. And so that, that brings us to our, that third implication on our, on our handout. So relationship, um, that's the third implication. Let's go back to Genesis 1 again. Um, Genesis 1, 26. I've been reading this verse, but let's read it one more time. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? If you've been, if you've been around biblical teaching for a, uh, for a while, this detail might not be um, surprising to you, but the text is very, very clear. God, which is a singular pronoun, said, let us, which is a plural pronoun, make man in our, which is plural, image, which is singular, after our, once again, plural, likeness. 
What's the point I'm making with this grammatical lesson? I'm trying to point out that this is a core attribute of who God is. That God in himself, he is relationship. Right? He says, let us make man in our image, not let me make man in my image. But the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? Isn't that what Deuteronomy 6.4 says? And so, yes, the Lord our God is one. But the Lord our God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the Trinity, right? And um, this is an entire series in itself. Let me just point our attention to, uh, or if, if, if you want to learn more about the Trinity, I don't really want to spend too much time talking about that. But um, if you want to learn more, the bookstall has a, has a book. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. It's by Michael Reeves. And so if you want to learn more about this, go to the bookstall and check that out. Because the point that I really want to draw out here is that by being three persons, but one God, like three distinct entities dwelling in perfect union and communion with one another, what God is showing us is that he is community. He is relationship. Like this is core to his very being, right? And so therefore, to be made in his image, it means that we too, at our core, are relational beings. We were made for community. So relationship is a natural implication of the fact that we were created after God's likeness. That's the point I'm making. And going one step further, Jesus, during his prayer in John 17, he draws that out even more because he gives us a glimpse of how he desires the image of God seen in the Trinity to impact us as a church and specifically our relationship with one another, right? And so let's pick up in the middle of that prayer. If you, if you want to flip to John 17, it's a long prayer, but we're going to read four, four verses in that prayer, verses 20 to 23. And Jesus prays, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as father you or just as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So this is the image of God seen in the Trinity. Three in one, perfect relationships, perfect community, unity amidst diversity, right? And as image bearers, and even much more as a church and as Christians, whom God predestined to be conformed to the image of his own self, his own son, right? As Romans 8, 29 tells us, we were created to mirror this perfect community that we see in the Trinity, that we may be one, even as they are one, is how Jesus prays, right? We were created for this intimate relationship with God and with one another. And this is the implication of the fact that we've been created in his image. And so back to our application question, what does this have to do with unity? Like how do we apply these truths that we were made in God's image and therefore created for relationship? How, do, how does this help us to grow in unity amidst diversity at University Baptist Church. Um, this is where I would have opened the floor again, but again, I'm sorry, I, I didn't plan out my time well. Um, 
I think it should be pretty straightforward, though. Right? Since we were created for relationship, unity is developed when we pursue relationship with one another, right? with love in our hearts, especially when we pursue relationships with people who are different from us. And so we've talked about this already, that there are many ways in which UBC can be diverse. But what would it look like for us to love one another, to pursue deep and genuine relationship with those who are different from us, and thus develop unity amidst our congregation? Well, I think 1 Corinthians 13 can really help us out here, which I, I know that is a very common passage. It's the love chapter. Um, but let me read for us specifically verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And I'm going to ask you to be patient with me or bear with me because I'm going to read little by little. And I'm going to start and stop, start and stop. And I want to draw out for us different implications for us here at UBC as I read. And so starting in verse 4, it says that love is patient, which means that love bears with one another's differences or sins or bears with one another's diversity, right? It also means, though, that deep and genuine relationships, the stuff that we're talking about, especially with people who are different from us, it just it takes time. Love is patient. And therefore, we ought to, be pers- um, to just persevere in pursuing one another in relationships with one another, right? Love is also kind. And when people come from different backgrounds, love is kind. It assumes the best in one another, right? Love doesn't envy. It doesn't want what others have. So instead of wanting maybe someone else's socioeconomic background or position, or maybe someone else's marital status, someone else's personality, someone else's gifts, unity is developed when we don't envy, but instead are thankful, are grateful. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't remember that, or it does remember that everything we have is a gift from God, right? It's a picture of his goodness, not ours. And so unity is developed when we, when we remember this. Love is not proud, which means it's not, um, it's self-forgetful, right? As C.S. Lewis puts it, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. Love is not proud. It's self-forgetful. Unity is developed when we do this. Love does not dishonor others, but instead it seeks to elevate others. It actively seeks for opportunities for how I can give you honor and elevate you and help you to flourish. That builds unity. Love is not self-seeking. In other words, it's not self-centered. It's others-centered, others-oriented. Unity is developed when we do this. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Unity is developed when we forgive one another when we inevitably sin against one another, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Unity is developed when we lovingly tell the truth to one another about one another's sins, maybe, and call each other to repentance and to the grace that's offered in Jesus. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Relationship with God and with one another, it's a natural implication of our being made in God's image. And if we grow in love for one another, especially towards those who are different from us, our relationships will be deepened. We will be more fully reflecting the image of God and our unity amidst diversity here at UBC will be put on display. Which brings us to our last implication, and I'll I'll close with this one. Um, Righteousness and morality. 
So just like relationship is a core attribute of God, well, so is his righteousness. So is his holiness, his moral perfection. Like this is who God is, right? God is holy. So when God created Adam and Eve in his image, they were originally like God in that they were perfectly righteous. They were perfectly holy, perfectly moral beings. Of course, sin enters the world because they rebel and they no longer perfectly image God. And so what does this mean for us? Because we're on the other side of the fall. We're on the other side of Adam and Eve's sin. So even though we are far from perfectly holy and righteous, we are still created in the image of God, right? And an implication of this is that we have the law of God and it's written on our hearts. So it's true that we are instinctively moral beings. We were meant to live righteous lives. And our innate sense of morality, this is an implication of the fact that we are made in God's image, made after God's likeness. And I do think that this is what Genesis 9-6 is getting at. We, we see that phrase come up again, made in God's image. Genesis 9-6, God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, what is the basis for the moral standard that we shouldn't kill one another, right? Why shouldn't we kill each other? Well, don't kill. Why? Well, because man is in, made in God's image. That's what the text says. We see something similar in James 3, verses 9 and 10. James 3, 9 and 10. It says that with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the image or made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and come cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so it's the same question. What is the basis for the moral standard that we shouldn't gossip or speak evil of one another or curse one another with our tongue? Well, don't gossip. Why? Well, because man is made in God's image. That's what the text says. Made in God's likeness. And so my point is, being made in the image of God is the foundation for our morality. Why shouldn't we kill? Why shouldn't we curse? Why shouldn't we gossip? Why shouldn't we speak evil of one another? Why should we be moral? Well, because we were made in the image of God, right? And so here's the last time I'll ask this question, but let's, ap let's apply it. What does this have to do with unity amidst diversity at UBC? So we were made in the image of God. Therefore, we are moral beings. How does that help us to grow in unity amidst diversity at University Baptist Church. Well, I think, it's, um, I think it's worth reflecting on that just because we were created as moral beings, meant to live righteous lives, it doesn't mean we do so perfectly, right? And we know that. In fact, just to be even more clear, none of the implications that we've been talking about this whole morning do we apply perfectly, right? We are spiritual beings meant to worship God, but instead we worship created things rather than creator, right? We are representational beings meant to be ambassadors of the king. But instead we often try to usurp him from his throne, right? And make ourselves his Lord. We are relational beings. We're meant to love God, love one another. But aren't those relationships fractured by our own sin? And then we are created as moral beings. We're meant to obey God's law. But instead we just choose to go our own way so often. We disobey. And so what does this have to do with unity at UBC? 
Well, I think we grow in unity when we acknowledge ourselves as broken moral beings, fractured image bearers, but also when we point one another towards Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the perfect image bearer. That's how we develop unity with one another, when we point one another to Jesus, and when we do this often, like all the time, right? Because Jesus, as, as Colossians 1.15 will say, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 will say that he is the exact imprint of God's nature, right? And so Jesus, he lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and he did it on our behalf. He died the sacrificial death, and this was also on our behalf, that our sins would be forgiven. He rose from the grave. He gave us victory in doing so over the penalty of sin, but also the, the, the power of sin in our lives. He ascended into heaven where he right now is interceding for those who trust in him. And he sent us his Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us. To empower us to do what, though? What Ephesians 4.24 will say, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what the Holy Spirit will help us to do. Right? To put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true holiness and, and righteousness. Colossians 3.10 3, will say that the Holy Spirit empowers us to also put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of God. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 3.18 will talk about the, that the Holy Spirit will transform us as we behold Jesus, will transform us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so as we point one another to Jesus, and as we trust more and more in Jesus, what the Holy Spirit does is he conforms us into the image of Jesus, who is the image of God, the perfect image of God. And if we do this, or if the Holy Spirit does this in us, unity amidst diversity at UBC will be put on display. So that's the last implication for our time this, this morning. We were created as moral beings, but in our fractured morality, we're meant to point each other to Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us and thus build unity within our church. And so I have um, maybe like one more minute, but so I'll, let me just close with this, because I, 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 can, I can talk about the image of God, and that's good, and we can talk about implications, and that's good, and share applications about how it affects our unity amidst diversity. Hopefully it's helpful. At the end of the day, though, um, and I'm not saying that you are like me, but maybe you're like me, that with all the teaching, with all the application, for me, it's, there still seems to be this disconnect often, right, between what I learn and what I do, or I guess in my case, what I teach and how I live. There just often seems to be this disconnect. And, and I guess I just want to address that real quick. Why is that? I think it's partially because there's a lot of reasons, but I think it's partially because sometimes it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. We lack perspective, right? And either for me, I lack the intentionality or maybe just I simply just don't fight hard enough to have right perspective. And what I'm talking about is the right perspective is that when I interact with people, when I interact with you, when I interact with anybody, no matter who they are or no matter what quote-unquote worldly benefits they bring to the table, I need to be constantly reminding myself 
you are made in the image of God. That's the perspective I'm talking about, that we ought to be intentional to fight for. That when we look at someone, oh, you're made after his likeness. You were created so that you could worship God. You were created for relationship with God and with people. You were created to represent God on earth, right? You were created to obey God. My role in your life, like the reason God put me in your life, is to help you in these regards. The reason why God put you in my life is to help me in these regards. This is the perspective that I think we ought to be fighting for. And it's hard, right? But if we do so, I think that's where unity flourishes within our body. And um, I guess, really, I'll just close with, we can't manufacture this. That's why we got to pray for it and beg God to change us and help us to see rightly and to um, have hearts that desire these things, right? And so... um, we're out of time, so let me, let me just pray, and then if, if you want to stick around, maybe we can ask some questions and, and talk some more. I meant for this to be more, more um, interactive, uh, but I realized as I glanced in the clock that there's no chance. So um, let, me, let me just pray for us. God, we, just, we, we marvel at your kindness, that you created us in your likeness, in your image. You didn't have to do that. It's your kindness. It's your kindness that we have the opportunity to worship you. It's your kindness that we have the opportunity to have a relationship with you. It's your kindness that we have the, the calling to represent you. It's your, call, it's your kindness that we have an innate sense of right and wrong, and even that we have your word that tells us. It's your kindness. God, we pray that you would help us to see your kindness and to celebrate it with one another. God, we pray that you would help us to see one another as we actually are, made in your image after your likeness. God, we pray that you would help us to love one another and that unity within our church would flourish, would be put on glorious display for the world to see. God, we pray that Jesus would be made beautiful within our church. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, his perfect life. We thank you for her how he did this all on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you for being faithful even to the end. Help us to worship you as we were created to do. We pray this in your name. Amen.